My Favorite Theorem, the math podcast with no quiz at the end. I'm Kevin Knudsen, professor of mathematics at the University of Florida, and today I am flying solo while I am at uh, Texas Christian University in Fort Worth, where I'm serving as the Green Honors Chair for the week, and I've been giving some talks and meeting the fine folks here uh, at, at TCU. And today I have the, uh, the pleasure to talk with some of their students, and they're going to tell us about uh, their favorite theorems and what they pair well with, and we're just going to jump right in. So uh, my first guest is uh, Aryan. Can you introduce yourself and say yeah, what's um, up? So my name is Aryan. I'm a sophomore computer science major at TCU, and uh, I'm from India. And I've chosen to go with uh, the fundamental theorem of calculus. Okay. Choice. The fundamental theorem of calculus. Yeah. Like okay. So now um, there's there's two parts to the fundamental yeah. theorem of calculus. Do you have a favorite part? So that's what I like about it. Um, Honestly, I can't choose a favorite part because one of the parts is very important and the other is interesting. Yeah. So the first part basically tells us the relationship between the definite, sorry, the integral and the derivative. Yes. And the second part tells us, like basically you can use that second part to find, to get solutions for questions on calculus, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yep, sure. Um, so what I like about this theorem is that it's not like other theorems where it has two parts. So mm -hmm. it's kind of interesting how everything in calculus is based off of these two theorems. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't know uh, what the relationship between the derivative and the integral was, we probably wouldn't be able to do anything with mathematics with it. Um, sure, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so you said one part was you said one no you said one part was useful, one part was interesting. Which 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 part do you think is interesting? I feel like the first part is interesting because it's almost intuitive, like you know that should happen, like uh, the, the, the relationship between integrals and derivatives should be like it's one is an inverse of the other mm -hmm. and yeah. that is intuitive so it's useful, it's, it's almost given and that's interesting that we have to say that. Really? You Do think you that's think? intuitive? I mean I'm, I'm I mean, not, <laughs> yeah I, I, I don't know, I remember when I first learned the fundamental theorem I thought it was kind of shocking that somehow this this thing, this integral, which is sort of defined as this, uh, in terms of these Riemann sums, somehow that when, you know, if you, if you let x be the upper limit there and you, you differentiate that function, you get your original function back. That, that's, I, if that's intuitive, that's amazing. Like, yeah, basically what it okay. is, it's just an area of some, area mm -hmm. of rectangles. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, I just thought of it as you're just in, decreasing the width of the rectangles and then you get smaller and smaller rectangles so you get the area and then if you take mm -hmm. the function exactly at that point the and then you call yeah sorry yeah, no. <laughs> so you forget the function at that point and then you just okay you're cleverer that's, than that's I that's what am. I think I, I, I was just kind of <laughs> dim I guess and I, I, I didn't think it was so intuitive I mean I saw the proof and, and believed it but then yeah then the second part is how you actually evaluate integrals right? yeah yeah so that's yeah. what you use to calculate the area between mm -hmm. two points mm-hmm yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Although I guess the problem is right. So 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 the, the theorem says that you know if you want to find the 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 integral, the value of this definite integral, all you have to do, and, and our listeners can't see me doing the scare quotes, all you have to do is find an antiderivative of the function, right? Right. Yeah. And then you spend all of Calc two learning how to find antiderivatives. <laughs> yeah. Right. And even then, if I hand you an arbitrary function, you can't even do it. Right? Like that's 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 the sort of disappointing part of the of that theorem is that most functions you can't find a closed form antiderivative for, and so what do you do? Um, 
which you're a computer science major, you know what you do, right? Yeah, but... You do it numerically, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay, very cool. So you've known this theorem for quite some time, I guess. And, and... Yeah, I've done it since high school. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. yeah, should I just start so, with the... So, 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 you, so you love the theorem? You just... I really, yeah, I yeah, do okay. because I when I was in high school, when I was in high school, mm -hmm. I was like, I used to sit at my dining table and study because I didn't, mm -hmm. I wanted to have snacks at the same time. Sure, and <laughs> as we all do. Yeah. And I would just, um, I would just spend hours just doing sums on integrals or, mm -hmm. um, like basically just integrals because yeah. that was difficult at that point. Sure, sure. And yeah, it was interesting. It got, I got used to it at some point and mm -hmm. then it got easier and mm -hmm. I just started liking the satisfaction of um, being able to do this. Yeah, very cool. So that was fun. Cool. All right. So on this podcast, we also like to ask our guests to pair their theorem with something. So, so what pairs well with the fundamental theorem? So um, as I said, I used to sit at the dining table and have snacks with yeah. it. And there's this really, really popular biscuit in India called Paliji. Okay, and I used to have that with tea while doing my songs, so that was that was the highlight of it. Okay, that's so why I used to look forward to studying, just for those biscuits. Okay, so 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 I assume there's <laughs> so an Indian, there's an Indian market in town somewhere, right? Can you get these yeah, biscuits? Yeah, there? yeah, yeah. I I do have them in my dorm right okay. now. All right, I, yeah, I have them every day. Okay, so what are these called again? <laughs> Paleji. Paleji. Yeah. Okay, so I'll have to go to the Indian market when I get back home and see if I can find these because I, I I'm always on the lookout for a good new biscuit. Yeah. <laughs> They're amazing. Yeah. Okay, so you should you should know our very first episode of this podcast, our guest who was Amy Wilkinson, who's on the faculty at the University of Chicago, chose the fundamental theorem as her favorite theorem. So you're in very good company because she's a <laughs> phenomenal mathematician. And uh, okay, thanks. Awesome. Thanks Thank so you. much. All right, up next we have uh, Tuan. So why don't you tell us about yourself and uh, what your favorite theorem is? Okay, uh, my name is uh, Duc Tuan Nguyen. Uh, people usually call me Tuan. Uh, I'm an international student from Vietnam mm -hmm. and I'm a sophomore majoring in math and computer science. Okay, great. So, yeah. favorite theorem, what you got? Yeah, um, so as my peer Aryan, um, he, choose the, he chose the Fundamental cap, uh, theorem mm -hmm. of calculus, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. But I want to bring another fundamental theorem in analysis, which is the mean value theorem. Oh, okay. So yeah. I have a theory. Okay. I call the mean value theorem the real fundamental theorem. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Me so, too. So, so why do you like this so much? Yeah. I think I have the same idea with you mm -hmm. why it's called a real fundamental theorem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think because to prove the fundamental theorem of calculus, you need the mean value you theorem. Absolutely, do. Also, like for another's, very like the most popular and common tools in calculus, which is a derivative test, mm -hmm. is also have the mean value theorem mm -hmm. behind that. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, uh, when I first, so I, I first uh, approached the mean value theorem. Mm -hmm. When I was in high school, mm -hmm. I take uh, Olympiad, uh, math Olympiad in Vietnam. Okay. Uh -huh. So I have to prepare for that, and mm -hmm. there is a section about that. Okay. So it's called the Lagrange theorem, which is kind of very fancy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. and sure. it's usually uh, applied to, so you know, like okay, in the exam, it will have some of the, the problem related to, the continuous 
and FA minus FB, something like that. Mm -hmm. Oh, mm -hmm. mostly, most of the time we use the mean value theorem. Right. So yeah, it's kind of cool that time, but I really enjoyed that mm -hmm. until last semester I took the real analysis. Mm -hmm. So I can see the whole, whole process mm -hmm. is using the mean value theorem. And sure. that's why like it's it can be taught in one lecture or one unit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Even like today, uh, this semester, I take the uh, multivariate analysis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sure. And it's also a very fundamental thing in prove everything from differentiability to right. If, if it's also even has a mean value theorem in That's the right. uh, higher dimensional mm -hmm. space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so maybe we should remind our listeners what the mean value theorem actually says. Oh. <laughs> okay. So uh, let f mm -hmm. <laughs> is. A function is defined mm -hmm. on an interval mm -hmm. a b mm -hmm. that f is continuous on the closed interval a b mm -hmm. and differentiable on the open interval a b. Mm -hmm. So the theorem say that uh, there exists a point a uh, point c between mm -hmm. a and b. That is not. Uh, it's, it's not inclusive mm -hmm. right. that uh, f a uh, sorry f b minus f a is equal to f prime mm -hmm. c times b minus a right so I think the mean value theorem the name come from the the quantity f a f b minus f a divide b minus a mm -hmm. right. yeah right yeah, so sort of the average rate of change yeah. over the interval is equal somewhere to the instantaneous rate yeah. of change yeah yeah. yeah. And right, that's how you prove the fundamental theorem too, because it's just a telescoping sum when you write it out correctly, and the mean value theorem sort of pushes everything away, yeah. and then you're done. Yeah, that's yeah. also like my favorite part because like it can um, tell you the relationship between mm -hmm. integral mm -hmm. and uh, normal functions and their uh, derivative. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good and, theorem. Yeah. So. Yeah. What do you want to pair with your theorem? What pairs with the mean value theorem? Yeah, I want to pair it with uh, something something that's really weird, which is a phone with, I mean, they call it FaceTime. Okay. So I'm here, mm -hmm. I'm uh, study. Uh, I'm, I'm far from my home. Mm -hmm. My home is in Vietnam, mm -hmm. which is on the other side of the, on, of, of the earth. Almost exactly opposite, right? It's, yeah, yeah, it's like, actually it takes uh, 20 hours Mm. from uh, this time to my country time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's actually like opposite. It's more, yeah. Right, right. yeah. <laughs> so, right. yeah, and the FaceTime, why why I paired that? Because like through FaceTime, I can see uh, people in mm -hmm. at my home doing and they also. So it's kind of a, a bridge or relationship mm -hmm. that connects what I'm doing here and nice. what yeah. uh, my family is doing there. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like, uh, my family is always want the best for me mm -hmm. to hope everything good for me here sure. and me too. Sure. So that is yeah. kind of a very like meaningful thing for me. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's great. And I'm glad that technology exists. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when I was in college, the internet didn't exist. So, you know, I'd, I had to call people on the phone and mm. phone calls to Vietnam, I imagine would be, oh. I can't imagine what that would cost. It was expensive enough to call my girlfriend who lived four hours away. So, uh, yeah. But it's kind of more romantic and you can give them a 
Love letter. <laughs> we wrote letters too. That's true. All right. Well, Tuan, thanks so much. That was great. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Up next, we have uh, Mayu Diaz. Why don't you introduce yourself? All right. My name is Mayu Diaz. I'm a second year graduate student here at the Department of Mathematics at TCU. Cool. And you have the best shirt. You win the shirt contest today. Oh, thank I'm you. Actually, kind of wishing you would like give me that shirt. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, um, uh, so you're a second year grad student here in the math department. Yes. TCU. Okay. Great. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, so, yeah. So, what's your favorite theorem? So, my favorite theorem is I don't see it really formally presented, but Sterling's formula, where n factorial uh -huh. is approximately, uh, uh, can be approximated by n to the n, e to the negative n times square root of 2 pi n. Yes. That term, that yep. is my favorite theorem. Yeah, so that, um, that that's a really interesting um, approximation for factorials, right? So, okay, so, so, so where did you come across this? I first came across this, I want to say, um, when I was just pretty studying about, when I was first, first studying the factorial back in grade school mm -hmm. and it was just more of like looking up on a Wikipedia page mm -hmm. was something that really relied on when it came to writing essays for mm -hmm. my English classes sure sure and um, when I found out that Wikipedia would also could also be used as a resource for mathematics as well mm -hmm. so I just thought oh, like factorial let's learn mm -hmm. interesting things about this and yeah. that's where I found the next up about Sterling's formula mm -hmm. under that mm -hmm. it wasn't until much later I was able to understand how that was derived and there was a variety of proof yeah. Uh, for uh, proving Sterling's formula, you know, yeah. one of them uh, relies on probability distributions mm -hmm. in terms of understanding how the factorial works, and then there's another way of finagling a little bit with the integral formula mm -hmm. for n factorial that comes through the gamma function. Mm -hmm. Remember that that's mm -hmm. another way of deriving Sterling's formula. Right. Right. Do you have a mm -hmm. so, okay? You have a, do you have a favorite proof of your favorite theorem? I do, yeah. but it's a very uncommon proof. Okay. Um. The Proof relies on a contour integral okay. involving the derivative of the Riemann zeta function. Oh, okay. I don't know if I know this proof, but what, what contour do you use? Uh, so you're going to go ahead and do a contour uh -huh. that is on the uh, half strip. So it's going. Okay. So you're just going to fix a number uh -huh. like sigma, and since derivative of Riemann zeta function, you just want to pick a sigma. Uh, just to a little bit of the right of where it converges, so mm -hmm. real part greater than one, mm -hmm. and that's going to be a, a line integral from mm -hmm. sigma mm -hmm. of minus i to infinity to sigma i plus infinity. Okay. And what you want to do is that you kind of want to start pushing that back a little bit, so mm -hmm. you can start picking up the residues mm -hmm. of the zeta derivative of the zeta function. Okay. Right. So you're going to right. go hit the possibly the non-trivial zeros. You could possibly hit the. You're definitely going to hit the pole at s is equal to one. Sure. That's where the uh, n log n minus n term comes from when you look at the log of n factorial. Right. Okay. Sure. And so you keep pushing that more, mm -hmm. and then you're going to be picking up the rest of the terms from there's and Sterling's formula as well. Oh, man. Okay. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, all right. I haven't seen this proof. That's very cool. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Cool. All right. So, um, so, so what do you think pairs well with Sterling's formula? I am going to say chicken tikka masala. Oh, chicken tikka masala. Okay. Yes. I, I, I do like chicken tikka masala. What, 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 what in particular makes you want to link those two things together? So Sterling's formula, I would say, is a little bit spicy, and I underestimated <laughs> it at first, right? Uh, because that was just something I would not been. I just, if you ask me if the formula was intuitive, that's like absolutely not. No, where, not. where does this e term come? Where sure. does the square root of two pi come from? Sure. It's not until you start familiarizing with the proofs more. It's like okay, at this mm -hmm. point, it's not that I'm used to it. It's just I've just seen this too many times. Sure. Sure. Yeah. 
Um, but I want to say this is spicy um, because of a paper, a PhD thesis that was published in 2014 by Matthew Monroe, mm-hmm. whose uh, advisor is Keith Conrad, mm-hmm. who wrote a paper on Sterling's formula, just mm-hmm. like devoting a series of notes on that. Mm-hmm. And you can see all the proofs he's compiled in. Right. I really like reading through his notes. Yeah. And the PhD thesis, he was looking at a generalization of the factorial, which is a factorial for number fields. Mm-hmm. So instead of looking at the uh, derivative of the zeta function, what he was looking at was like a modification mm-hmm. of the derivative of the Dedekind zeta function, okay. which is zeta function defined over number fields. Sure. And that's the same technique as well. You mm-hmm. want to keep pushing it mm-hmm. on the line, be able to pick up non-trivial zeros, possible mm-hmm. poles, and it's just more or less the same outlined as well. Mm-hmm. And it's spicy because number one, there is a ton of information coming uh, about the factorial just from the location of the zeros and poles of these data functions. Right. I was like, whoa, this is some pretty advanced stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be messing with this. But then it's also really delicious because, well, fun, I think chicken tikka masala is very delicious. It is, agreed. Um, but also delicious in the context of these formulas because the approximation formulas for the factorials is reliant on the poles and zeros of these zeta functions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so it's mm-hmm. like, whatever I want to know about on the left side over here, the approximation for the factorials I'm looking at, right. all I got to know is the information about these zeros and poles of these zeta functions. Right. That, that, that's the spicy and delicious part. Very cool. All right. That's a good pairing. I like that. Cool. Thanks, Mayu. Thank you. Up next, we have Hope Sage. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, I'm Hope. I'm a junior physics major at TCU. Cool. My favorite theorem is Bell's theorem. Okay, I don't think I know this. Okay, <laughs> it's yeah. kind of physics-y. It's from quantum mechanics. Okay. And John Bell like, wrote it as a response to the EPR paper, which is kind of a famous paper in quantum physics, where mm-hmm. it talks about how quantum physics is probably incomplete and there's probably some hidden variable that's underlying it. Sure. And Bell uses this inequality to calculate the probabilities based on what you would expect classically. So Mm -hmm. if every, like the quantum particles are not entangled, then you would get this like expected probability. Mm -hmm. And then he shows that experimental results kind of conflict with that. And so like the underlying assumption is that from that local realism isn't a thing. Mm -hmm. So then the universe is like super wacky. Well, I think we knew that, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So, all right. So, I'm, I'm, my my quantum mechanics is, um, well, calling it rusty would be like an insult to rusty things. Um, so, okay. So, so you so the probability of what the the state that a that a particle is in, or yeah. Okay, so, right. whenever you have like two entangled particles, mm-hmm. one might be spin up, one might be spin down. Okay. And you can run an experiment they have like a beam splitter mm-hmm. and like two detectors and you measure the different states it's kind okay. of like the traditional example and the probabilities depend on like the angle that everything is situated at okay. but say you like have nine and then you were to take all those probabilities mm-hmm. he basically proves this inequality that just shows that mathematically it can't be possible for there to be hidden variables okay. which means that things are paired and they would have to be like communicating at faster than the speed of light, which doesn't happen. Sure. So um, 
then you're there's all these theories about what could theoretically be the underlying nature of the universe right. from that. Okay. And different interpretations. Okay. So so which is which is your favorite interpretation of what might be going wrong here? Um, or right, whatever the right. There's word an is. interpretation that kind of extended from this called the many worlds interpretation of okay. quantum mechanics. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's like what I would necessarily say is most likely to be correct, but I think it's the most fun one. Mm -hmm. It's also fun because you can read cool science fiction books about it. Sure. Like every action you take, like there's a different universe, different paths. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I think it's kind of fun. <laughs> sure, right. So, so right. So, like right now, we what, what we're doing, we could like split into any number of paths, and there's all these weird different outcomes that could happen depending on whether or not some quantum state is what it is or not. Yeah. Basically. One of my favorite books is Dark Matter. It's by Blake mm -hmm. Crouch. And mm -hmm. it's about like every action that you take, there's like a different like universe and then there's mm -hmm. infinitely num many like possibilities based mm -hmm. on like every single decision you make, right. which is kind of interesting because every decision that you make does create like a different next possible decision. Sure. But right. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. So our minds are getting blown. Um, all right. What pairs well with this theorem? Um, well, sometimes it's called spooky action at a distance. And okay. so I was going to go with Halloween candy okay. because spooky. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. So what, what's your favorite Halloween candy, though? Um, probably Reese's. What? Okay. I have strong Reese's opinions. So so which, like, the full size or the miniatures or what? Okay. Like a Reese's peanut butter cup, but like the yep. dark chocolate version. Okay. All right, I can respect that. I, I'm I am team miniature. I think that's the correct ratio of chocolate to peanut butter. But uh, okay. But but the the dark, I, I get it. I understand. Okay. All right, that was great. Thanks, Hope. Jonah, why don't you introduce yourself? All right. Well, uh, I'm Jonah Morgan. Yeah. I'm a freshman engineering major here at TCU. Okay. Uh, my favorite theorem is Girdle's incompleteness theorem. Girdle's incompleteness theorem. So that's more than one theorem. All right. Yeah. So let's okay. let's let, let's remind our listeners what what at least one of them is. Sure. So the first one. Um, the first of Girdle's incompleteness theorems is effectively any, I'll call it interesting, uh, <laughs> okay, any, sure. any sufficiently interesting or complex uh, set of axioms, mm -hmm. it fundamentally has theorems that, or, or theorems or statements that cannot be proven, mm -hmm. but which are true. Cannot uh, be proven inside the sorry, system. Yeah, right? cannot be proven inside the system. That's right, pretty right. And, 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 okay, yeah, you, you hedged around, but I think sufficiently complicated just means, like, you can do arithmetic. Yeah, like, yeah. you can add numbers. Right. Because yeah. if, if you just can't do anything, then, well, you can't yeah, say anything. So. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, so that's that's um, uh, that that's the first one. What's the second one? I think I don't even remember the second one. I, so the second one was, I think, I'll, I'll, I'll make some background just because okay. I think the background's uh, fun to know. Sure. His first theorem kind of says, okay, well, if you have a set of axioms, you can have effectively a statement that says this statement cannot be proven by the axioms. Mm -hmm. um, so if you have that statement, then well, if that statement is true, then it's a true statement within the system that cannot be proven by the axioms. Mm -hmm. But if it's false, then it is a statement which cannot be proven, or it, then it's a false statement which cannot be proven. I'm a little rusty on mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. aspect of it. Mm -hmm. But effectively, the idea is, so there's this weird statement that you can have in any system which mm -hmm. makes it uh, he says incomplete or mm -hmm. incomplete is right. the word for it. But then so mathematicians are like, okay, well, we want to prove things. Mm -hmm. And you gave one example, and it's a bit of a weird example. I don't want to prove that a statement is unprovable. Uh, so then he has a second theorem that says, well, 
Also, there are true statements which are unprovable, which we cannot prove are unprovable. Yes. And uh, so that's the second theorem. And that's like, okay, so you can spend your life working on a theorem mm -hmm. or working on a, a problem. And then you can't even know whether or not you can know the answer to this problem. Yes. Within within the, the set of axioms that you're working with. Right. So it's, it's hopeless in some sense. Yeah. You, you can't fix this issue. No, it, it, it's... It, some people say math is broken, uh, but really it's just incomplete. There are certain things. Yeah, I mean, I think it's caused a crisis among certain um, elements of the mathematical community, but I, I'm with you. I just sort of view it as, like, well, okay. Yeah. It, it, you know, so there are unprovable statements. So what? It doesn't mean the bridges that we build are going to fall down. Right. right? Like I mean, everything we have proven still stands. And still okay. You can still prove a lot of things. That's right. Still lots more to be proved. Where, where did you come across this? What, what? Uh, I, I, I think in, in some time in... Uh, grade school, middle school, uh, mm -hmm. high school, mm -hmm. I, I got really into just watching videos about mathematics. And at first okay. they're, you know, just little conjectures and little fun things. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. um, Gödel's incompleteness theorem stuck out because it's like, I, I was d diving into math, the world of math for the first time. Mm -hmm. And there's so many things that you can prove. And even these like crazy things that I, I never thought were provable or like things that are so complex from Oz's last theorem took 300 mm -hmm. years to be proven. Right. And I, st I don't understand any part of that proof, to be honest with you. Same. But <laughs> but we did it, and it, it took a long time. But sort of my idea after seeing all of this is that, well, anything can be proven if you have a sufficiently, or maybe we're not, we're not smart enough to find the proof, but everything mm -hmm. should be provable. Mm -hmm. Mathematics, it's a, it's a language. You should be able to explain things in that language. Right. Uh, and then girls in Cletus theorem says, no. And also, there's, there are things that you just, it, it, it kind of changes your perspective on math. Right. And um, so then, you know, you get questions like, well, you know, the Riemann-Zeta hypothesis is mm -hmm. one of the most famous unsolved hypothesis, right. hypotheses. And a lot of people see this and they're like, oh, well, does this mean that this, this million dollar problem, one of mm -hmm. the millennium problems, mm -hmm. could just be unsolvable and we can't even know that it's unsolvable. Um, and I think, that was the first thing I looked up when I heard when I heard about this mm -hmm. theorem. Mm -hmm. And something that was even more interesting to me was that if the Riemann-Zeta hypothesis is false, it is provably false. Mm. Which means because it is equivalent to saying that there exists some number on the real part right. one half line. Yeah, so right, right. you can write an algorithm and given infinite time you will find, sure. if, if there is one, you will find it. So it is provably false. Which also means that proving that the Riemann-Zeta hypothesis cannot be proven means that it must be true. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So I, I I can't give you the formal explanation on that. I right. Don't, I don't know right. what it is, but right. uh, the general idea is that you can prove that something is true by proving that you cannot prove it, uh, which <laughs> is. <laughs> Yeah, that's a little that's a little mind twisting. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah, that, yeah. But I can see why this would appeal to you as you're you know coming into your sort of own intellectual uh, you know being sort of state and, and moving out of you know being a kid. Um, yeah, that, that that that's really great. Okay, so um, so so what do you think pairs well with the incompleteness theorem? So uh, this isn't sponsored, but uh, Grubhub or Uber Eats or whatever. Okay, uh, because. Occasionally, I'd order food there. It's, it's mm -hmm. easy. It's convenient. And most of the time, you get what you ordered. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, your driver takes a, a, a nugget, and you don't 
and, and you know that's gone. And sometimes he just doesn't show up at the door, and you're left wondering, where is this stuff that I've paid my money for? Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think the feeling is similar there mm -hmm. that you can you can pay for something like you can spend your time working on this theorem, and it's just unprovable, and you'll never know where it went or where mm -hmm. it goes. And also, you can pay for your food and just have no idea where it's ever. Yeah. Wow. That's that's a good pairing. I like that. <laughs> Thank you. Cool. All right. Thanks a lot, Jenna. Thank you. All right. Up next, we have Anna Long. Anna? Yeah. So my name is Anna. Uh, I'm a senior math and French double major, actually. Nice. Okay. Um, yeah. But I'll stick with English for you. So. Je ne parle pas bien français. So. Très bien. Yeah, I can say I don't speak the language really well in several yeah. languages. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. all you really need. That's right. That's right. It was on the toilette, and then that, you know. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Okay. Yeah, so my favorite theorem I picked is the Invertible Matrix Theorem from okay. Linear Algebra. Okay. And it's really a pretty big theorem. Mm -hmm. It's 24 equivalent statements right. for a square <laughs> matrix uh, right. that I'll call A. Yeah. And so just a few of my favorite little statements in there. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously we have that it's the matrix is invertible. Um, that the columns then form a linearly independent set, so there's yeah. always a solution. Mm -hmm. um, and then that for it to equal zero, it's only the trivial solution that your mm -hmm. uh, vector is zero. Sure. Uh, that it has n pivot positions or that it has full rank. Yes. And then that the linear map is both one to one and on to. Mm -hmm. And that the determinant is non-zero and that zero is not an eigenvalue. Right. So and that's only like six of the equivalent conditions. Yeah. Yeah. Much more. I, yeah. <laughs> right. So so yeah. Well, if you open up a linear algebra book, there will usually be at some point some page where they list all these. Equivalent. Yeah. And I'd forgotten there were like twenty-four. I, I can probably. Uh, so I'm teaching our our, um, our senior level analysis course this year, and part of it we do some some stuff with operator theory and and and. They remind in our text that we wrote ourselves of these. They use eleven of the equivalent okay. conditions, but not all of them. So yeah. I can't imagine. What, I, I don't even think I know what some of the other ones are. I'm sure I would if you told well, me. Well, and a lot of know. them are like jumbled together. So like mm -hmm. in pivot positions and full rank, I've seen as yeah, like defined as two different things. Yeah, but they're it's really the same. same thing, but right? essentially, because of the theorem, they're all the same. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. So so why do you love this theorem so much? I just love it because it's so useful. Mm -hmm. um, from and I've had two linear algebra classes now, and mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. just makes life so much easier uh, sure. trying to prove any various things mm -hmm. um, yeah. in class. Um, right. So yeah, it's just great being able to find the easiest statement and prove that one, and then you just know all of them are true. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah, I do. I do like those things when like fifty things are equivalent. That's, yeah. yeah. That's that's really nice. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, so I guess you learned this in your linear algebra mm -hmm. course. You have a second linear algebra course. What, what's the yes. second one? Yes, uh, so I'm in applied linear algebra. Okay. Right now. All right. Yes. Okay. So so you're doing like singular values and things like that. Yes. Okay. We are. All right. So um, that's super useful stuff. Linear algebra, of course, I think is one of those things that we don't teach enough of, and um, uh, and basically any problem in math comes down to either making some estimate like analysis mm -hmm. or some linear algebra problem. It seems to me. So, uh, so yeah. The more you learn, the more you know. The more, the better you'll be, better off you'll be. So you're you're a senior. What, what what's next for you? Uh, graduate school. In what? In. In French. No. In math. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I haven't decided on a school yet. Okay. Um, but I'm looking at PhD programs in applied okay. or computational math. Excellent. Yeah. That's great. No. Good luck to you. Mm -hmm. So what Thank pairs you. well with this theorem? 
Yeah, so I picked chicken tortilla soup, um, okay. mostly because it's my favorite soup. Uh, That's good. But, you know, you kind of have all sorts of different things piled in there. You've got your spices, you've got your chicken, you've got mm-hmm. your, you know, pieces of tortilla, you've got maybe chives or mm-hmm. your different little vegetables in there. And so you have a whole bunch of things that may or may not look very similar or different to each other. Mm-hmm. But you get one scoop of it and you have the whole thing. Right. So it's kind of like a 24 for there's one like, there's deal. There's like 24 <laughs> equivalent soups in one. Right. right. Yeah. Right. Oh. Yeah. Okay, very cool. I mean, yeah, so are you from Texas? I'm from Oklahoma. Okay, so this region, yeah, that sort of mm-hmm. makes sense, right? That there'd be sort of be a popular sort of soup. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right, excellent. Well, thanks so much, yes. Anna. That was great. Thank you. Yeah. Up next, we have Matthew Balding. Matthew, welcome. Hey there, thank you. Yeah, yeah so uh, my name is Matthew. I am a senior uh, dual degree student for mathematics and computer science. Okay. And uh, I'm from around here as well. Okay, so cool. All right, so what's your favorite theorem? My favorite theorem today, or really, I guess, all time, is the four-color theorem. The four-color theorem. Oh, yes. boy. Okay. Are you familiar? Oh, yeah, I am. So there's, there's a lot to be said about this theorem. So, yeah, what, 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 tell us what it is, and then we'll, we'll, we'll unpack it. Sure. So I suppose in the most dry mathematical language, the uh, four-color theorem states that the chromatic number for a graph, for a simple planar graph specifically, mm-hmm. is no more than four. Right. And I guess there are some things to unpack there. Yes. Right. So right. A, a planar graph is a graph that can be uh, constructed, drawn, if you will, uh, such that no two edges cross one another. Mm-hmm. And a simple graph is one that does not have any self-loops. Right. And I guess the other part of it is what's a chromatic number, mm-hmm. right? And so a chromatic number is essentially uh, the smallest k for which the graph is k-colorable. Mm-hmm. And then that also takes us down the rabbit hole with what is k-colorable. Right. Uh, so a k-coloring of a graph is an assignment of at most k-colors uh, to the vertices of the graph in such a way so that no two adjacent vertices are the same color. Right, okay. So most people might know this in terms of maps. Yes, that is correct. Right. Uh, that's really actually what got me interested in mm-hmm. this. Um, mm-hmm. It seems so deceivingly simple, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, four colors is all you need, or right. really at most four colors. You can right. do it in three or or two, depending on the, on the uh, map or right. graph. Sure. Um, but you know, you you can ask people. You know, what what do you think, or how many colors do you think you might need to mm-hmm. color this graph uh, under these conditions mm-hmm. and constraints? Oh, six, seven. Mm-hmm. No, you only need four, mm-hmm. right? And although I'm no cartographer, you know, I've right. never really co- colored a map maybe since pre-K, I think it is just so interesting and sort of out of the blue that, you know, you only need four colors. Right. Um, and with that, I also think it is really interesting that this, uh, or, or the proof that the chromatic number is no more than four, hasn't been proved by humans by hand. Right. Um, and we've had to rely on computers to uh, facilitate that proof. Right. And being a computer science, uh, or within the computer science field of study, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that's really, really interesting. Yeah, I was going to ask least. if that was part of part of your motivation here. I mean, so although, um, yeah, recently there some people announced a proof, of like a like a proof by hand of the four color theorem, and it's wrong. Really? <laughs> so, right. I mean, any, anybody who's tried to prove this, this, this thing sort of just by hand has just come up short. And, you know, so, so the question of the maps, right? So for, for a map, it's like, you know, you, you don't want two states with that share a border to, to, um, to, uh, to be colored the same. 
you know, and, and you can draw examples where you need four, but it's interesting that you don't. You can always you can always do it with four. But then, so it, it does turn into a graph theory question because how do you how do you create a graph out of this? Well, you stick a vertex for each state and you join them if they share a border, and now you've converted it to a graph theory question. So, so that's how they come along. Exactly, and, yeah. and actually, I. I found this or discovered was presented this uh, theorem in graph theory mm -hmm. uh, last spring. Yeah. And I mean, I really, of course, with a computer science background, I mean, I just, you know, jumped in head first. I mm -hmm. thought it was the coolest class. Right. You know, maybe not, you know, <laughs> it's not, it maybe doesn't have the same rigor as like real analysis or something. Oh, um, no, it's hard. Well, it's don't get me wrong. Yeah, there, yeah. there are some difficult concepts. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. You know, I guess with a, a computer science mindset, you know, mm -hmm. um, I mean, of course, not every topic, you know, had roots in computer science, but maybe with Huffman encoding or shortest path algorithms. Sure. Um, you know, I, it was just so interesting and fascinating. Yeah, no, no, no. Graph theory stuff um, uh, is vital in computer science. I mean, it's, Absolutely. it's it's everywhere, and having good algorithms for that is really important. Um, you know, decision trees and all these mm -hmm. kinds of things that you need to know. Yeah. Cool. All right. So, uh, so yeah, but it's true. Yeah, yeah. The, the first proof was given in what 1976. Around there. Around there. And, yeah, and basically it reduces to some you know, couple hundred of special cases that you just check, and or you get a computer to check. And yeah, it's it's uh, it's, it's it's so for mathematicians that's unsatisfying, right? We would just like a nice clean, wordy proof that that right. works instead of relying on on computer code. But I mean. I'm okay with it personally. Uh, I, I am too, but uh, according to the Wikipedia page for this theorem, mm -hmm. there are still many doubters. Yeah. Um, you know, I, yeah. I guess we just have to prove it by hand. I guess so. That's how it goes. All right. So, what do you think pairs well with the full color theorem? You know, I really struggled trying to think about something that went along with this, mm -hmm. but I, I landed on uh, something that you could actually, you know, show the four color theorem with, mm -hmm. and that would be Skittles. Okay. Um, you know, you could lay them out all flat, mm -hmm. you know, make it a planar mm -hmm. collection of Skittles, mm -hmm. basically. Right. And you could arrange the Skittles in such a way that, you know, no, no adjacent Skittles share the same color. Oh. Of course, there are more than four colors in a Skittle pack. Right. I would think. It's right. been a while since I've had Skittles. Yeah. But. Too sweet. Although, there, so, so the five color theorem is really not so hard to prove, apparently. I've been told. Uh, I think I maybe even read the five color theorem proof. It's not so bad, but but four is tricky. I, I looked back at my graph theory notes, mm -hmm. and we we worked from uh, a chromatic number no less or no greater than six mm -hmm. to five, and then we sort of just had a, a blank you know mm -hmm. statement. Well, you can prove that the chromatic number is no more than four, right? Um, but right, the the ones for five and six aren't. Too, too, I mean, compared to having to do it on a computer. Right, yeah. right, right. Compared to people, you know, not necessarily believing the computer proof. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're convinced about five. Yes. So we're good. All right. Well, Matthew, that was great. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Up next, we have Brandon Isensee. Brandon. I'm Brandon Isensee. I'm a math major at a TCU. Uh, I'm a senior. Okay. I'll be graduating this semester. So. Yeah. What's next? Grad school at yeah. uh, Rice University. In math? Yeah, oh, that's uh, computational and applied math. Okay, that's great. So, yes, yes. Yes. It's a terrific university. You're going to have a good time there. I hope all so. right. <laughs> well, I mean, grad school is what it is. It's, it, yeah. <laughs> it, it's fun and work and all those things, but no, it's, it's really, it's a, it'll be a great experience. All right, so uh, what's your favorite theorem? So my favorite theorem is called Tchaikovsky's theorem. Tchaikovsky's theorem. Yes. Okay. Uh, have you heard of it? I, I, I have, but let's, let's, let's have our listeners. So kind of the theoretical way of saying it is that... Um, uh, the theorem relates to uh, discrete equations mm -hmm. uh, that are in, uh, it's one dimensional discrete equations, so mm -hmm. you only have one variable. And if 
a certain period exists, uh, if a certain periodic orbit exists, mm -hmm. that implies the existence of other periodic orbits. Right. And if there's a three cycle in particular, mm -hmm. then that applies the existence of all the other cycles. Yes. And so to that's more that's more of the theoretical way of saying mm -hmm. it, but if we put this in more concrete terms, if you have an equation that models, you know, a population over time mm -hmm. and it's discrete time. Mm -hmm. So it's years, zero, one, two, three, et cetera. Sure. So this equation tells you the population values for each year, right? Mm -hmm. And say there's a population growth parameter within this equation that mm -hmm. you can vary. So we'll call it K. Mm -hmm. And this uh, parameter tells you how fast the population is growing. Right. And so say you your growth parameter is two. Okay. And for this growth parameter, no matter which population value you choose, uh, your population ends up oscillating between th three different values mm -hmm. across time. Right. So the, that's the long-term behavior. So as you know, as time goes on, your population uh, oscillates between, say, four individuals, five individuals, mm -hmm. six individuals, and it keeps repeating. So it's right. four, five, uh, four, five, six, mm -hmm. four, five, six, four, mm -hmm. five, six. Right. So if that's the case, then that implies that there's a four cycle. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's uh, eight, nine, 10, 11. Right. There's a five cycle, there's a six cycle, mm -hmm. there's a one million cycle, mm -hmm. all the other cycles exist. Right. And so it's quite interesting because when you look at particular examples of you know, equations like the discrete logistic map, mm -hmm. uh, and you look at the, you know, where the three cycle exists, uh, you only see it the three cycle. So you may be wondering, mm -hmm. you know, why why am I only seeing the three cycle and not the four cycle or the five cycle? That's because Charkovsky's theorem tells you that these cycles exist, but doesn't tell you whether or not they're stable. Mm -hmm. And so when you see the three cycle, it's stable because that's where your populations are oscillating between. Mm -hmm. But when it's unstable, well, those unstable cycles repel the population values mm -hmm. away from them mm -hmm. and it ends up settling at the three cycle. Right, right. So it's almost like there's an infinite number of fixed points, if I'm understanding this correctly. Mm -hmm. It's like there's an infinite number of fixed points where you see the three cycle, but all of them are unstable except for the three cycle because right. <laughs> that's what you're seeing on the graph. Right, right, yeah. So sometimes this theorem is stated as period three implies chaos, right? Right, so there, so there's actually like a difference between those two. Uh-huh. So Sharkovsky's theorem is the one that's stronger because that mm -hmm. tells you exactly which periods mm -hmm. imply, you know, the existence of other yes. periods. Yes, yes, right, right, And right. so the period three, uh, that that relates to uh, the, the three period, right? Mm -hmm. Three period implies everything, but Sharkovsky's theorem kind of tells you exactly which periods imply right, the existence right, right. of yeah, others. Yeah, and if I remember right, there's um, he, he he proves that the, he puts some weird order on the on the natural yes, numbers, yes. right? So the yeah. order the order is if you're doing this in rows, mm -hmm. the first row is your odd numbers. Yeah. So three, five, seven. Mm -hmm. Your second row is your odd numbers times two. Right. And then the next row is your odd numbers times uh, two to the second power. Sure, right. So it's the odd numbers times powers of two. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so um, it's very interesting. Right. <laughs> it, right. it took me some time to uh, right. to understand the order, but now now I right. get it. Right, right, and then like one is at the end or something, right? Yeah, that your your two cycles and such, mm -hmm. you know, your periods of twos yep. are yep. all the way at the bottom. Right, so. right, right. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's uh, and then. This is very important for discrete dynamics, right? It just right, sort of right. tells you that 
the kind of the whole story. Mm-hmm. No, it's very cool. It's a very very cool film. All right. So what do you think pairs well with Tchaikovsky's theorem? So maybe it's very a superficial connection, <laughs> but doesn't matter. Uh, there's a story with uh, Alan Turing. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He's the mathematician. For those that don't know, he solved the Enigma code during World War II, mm-hmm. uh, the German Enigma code, and because of that. Uh, I forget the exact estimates, but it's like a mil- at least a million lives were uh, saved because of that in yeah. like two years. Slightly the, important. Yeah. 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 Um, um, that shortened the war by two years. Mm-hmm. And so there's a story with Alan Turing where uh, he rode his bicycle. Mm-hmm. And after a certain number of revolutions of the bike wheels, mm-hmm. the bike chain would fall off. But mm-hmm. instead of him just fixing it, he would just count the number of revolutions as he's riding the bike. And then he would, right before, you know, the bike chain would fall off, he would get off the bike, and then he would just put the bike chain back on. And then he would just keep riding it. <laughs> so. I wonder if that's true. I, I suppose I so. don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's a good story either way. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's, that's a good pairing. Yeah. All right. Excellent. All right. Thanks. Thank you. All right. And our last... Uh, Willing volunteer today, I think they were all willing, uh, is, uh, is Julia Goldman. Julia? Hi. Uh, yeah, I'm Julia. I'm in my first year of grad school here mm-hmm. at TCU. Yeah. In, in math? Yeah. Yes. In okay. Math. Yeah. How do you like it so far? I like it a lot so far, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Math's pretty cool. I think so. Yeah. All right. So what's your favorite theorem? So my favorite theorem today is Brouwer's fixed point theorem. Oh, Brouwer. Okay. <laughs> all right. Good. Finally, it's topology theorem. Good. Right. Yeah. 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 So last week, I was trying to come up with a theorem talk about today mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. one of my professors suggested this one yeah and when I was going online and reading mm-hmm, about it and learning mm-hmm. about it um, I was looking at all these proofs of it that seem fairly technical I mm-hmm. probably want to take a topology class to really get sure, into it right but the theorem itself is I think very understandable mm-hmm. and I came across so many of these cute little fun real-world examples mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that make the theorem like pretty explainable to anyone of any math background and okay. I really appreciated that aspect of it. Right. Like so when first, math is yeah. approachable. Okay, so what's the theorem? What's, oh, what's yeah. the mind everyone? The yeah. theorem is for any continuous function of a convex compact set onto itself, mm-hmm. there's going to be at least one fixed point. Right. One point that doesn't move. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really yeah. fun. Okay. And there's um there's a couple examples like if I had a map of Fort Worth right now mm-hmm. and I laid it on the floor, there would be at least one point on that map mm-hmm. laying directly on top of the point it's supposed to represent. That's right. Right, that's which right. Is kind of fun. Yeah, that's yeah. That, that's a good example. Yeah. Then my other favorite example is a cup of tea. You stir the cup of tea. Mm-hmm. When you're done stirring, there's going to be one little bit of your tea that's in the same spot as when you started stirring. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You a tea drinker or a coffee drinker? Uh, a little bit of both. Okay. All right. But Fair maybe enough. it's because I'm not a topologist, but I read that example and I just thought, I feel like I could stir my tea right enough. Sure, that, but sure. Brower says I'm wrong. So. Uh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Okay. So. Um, so maybe you don't know enough topology to prove this yet. Did, did, did you find a favorite proof that sort of made sense to you? Um, not not a favorite. I okay. just kind of just, glanced just, over some like the, theorem. Yeah. Right. So okay. So so like the, the algebraic topology proof involves like something with the homotopy groups or the homology groups and okay. things like that. So that's kind of weird. Um, there's sort of analysis type proofs, right? Mm-hmm. So we we just talked about dynamical systems a little bit, right? So if you if you just pick any point and you start iterating the function, right, um, just keep pushing it around, then um, then eventually it will converge to a fixed point. Okay. Well, some subsequence of it will. 
because you're in a compact set, right? So that's sort of an analysis thing. Mm -hmm. So that's another way to think about it. But yeah, this this is um, this is a popular theorem among topologists. Okay. Uh, you know, we 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 all really we we dig this theorem a lot. It's one a of our favorite fave. examples. It is a fan fave, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Good. So I, I and I like the map example too because that's really yeah. very really illustrative. Okay. So what do you think pairs well with Brower's fixed point theorem? Well, I wanted to pair my favorite theorem with my current favorite. TV show, okay. which I'm only a little bit embarrassed to say is a reality show called Love Island. Okay. You've heard of the show? I've heard of it. I've, I've, I have not watched it, but yes. I, I think they must have some topologists on set there, because okay. I think the show itself is kind of an example okay. of the theorem, if you stretch some definitions a little okay. bit. Okay, yeah, let's hear it, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. if you're unfamiliar, the show is a dating show. Mm -hmm. The very first episode, all the participants are put into couples, mm -hmm. and then there's like 65 episodes of just like fighting and breaking up and <laughs> getting into other couples or whatever, <laughs> and from the seasons I've seen, yeah. At the end of the show, there's always at least one couple that ends up back in their original pairing. Right. So if we think of the participants as our convex set mm -hmm. and all the show drama as the function, oh, this is then nice. there's your example of the theorem. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and yeah, it's funny how there's always two people who are like, you know, we were we were right yeah, all along. Exactly. Yeah. And do they do it randomly? Like they randomly? I'm sure the producers don't do it. I mean, they kind randomly. of mix it up. They okay. let the girls choose or the boys uh -huh. sometimes randomly. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. We'll have to check this out. I, it's I, a great show. Highly okay. recommend it. Okay. All right. Excellent. Okay, well, thanks, Julia. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Lee. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chan Wen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at NivikNazdunk, that's Kevin spelled backwards followed by Knudsen spelled backwards, and Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M, that's at myfavoritetheorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics.